Welcome to episode 117. It's our eighth standalone episode of the G2 on 5G. It's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. Today, Anshul and I welcome uh, Dave Wright, who's president of the Ongo Alliance. Welcome, Dave, to the podcast. Thanks, Will. Thanks, Anshul. Very nice to be here. Yeah, great. Well, before we jump into the crux of our conversation, many of our viewers and listeners may not know that you have a day job and you lead the global wireless policy at HPE. So before we kind of jump into everything, you want to talk a little bit about what you do there? Sure. I mean, uh, you know, uh, certainly here representing the Ongo Alliance. Um, but uh, yeah, for my day job, I um, head up the wireless policy initiatives for Hewlett Packard Enterprise, particularly for our Aruba Networks um, group. And so I spend my time, um, you know, thinking about what the spectrum needs and policy needs are going to be for different wireless technologies, you know, a year, five years, 10 years from now. And then, um, you know, working with our product teams and our CTO office, which I'm a part of, um, try to translate that into what's going on at the um, typically national and international level with uh, with Spectrum and, and wireless policy and technology policy in general. So lots of interactions with, you know, the FCC in the U.S., uh, NTA on the federal Spectrum side, uh, Congress, uh, executive branch as well. Um, so, yeah, that's a domestic picture and then there they have counterparts around the world and, and different international groups so ITU type activity so yeah it's a fascinating uh, it's a fascinating realm and none of what we know and enjoy today with uh, with our wireless world and our increasingly wireless world would be possible uh, you know without the spectrum uh, that the regulators make available to us you're absolutely right and you know most recently that that came at a pretty penny right <laughs> Yeah, when you license it and sell it for an auction, it can uh, it can get expensive. Yeah, generate good revenues for the treasury. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Well, let's jump in. Thanks for thanks for sharing a little bit of background there. So, I know you spoke to both Anshul and I separately over the last several weeks, but I was wondering, you know, to get started, can you provide kind of a brief update regarding the Ongo Alliance, namely recent member additions and device certifications? Sure. And just, you know, as background for any of your listeners, viewers who um, just, you know, don't have any idea who who Ongo Alliance is. Um, and it's funny, I was, I was having lunch with my 21 uh, year old son today who's just getting into sort of the networking technology field. He's like, there's so many darn alliances out there. And I was like, yeah, yeah, we tend to do that um, in, in, in networking. Um, so the Ongo Alliance, formerly the CBRS Alliance, um, is a group of companies that came together, uh, really started, the genesis of all of this was the 2015 timeframe. And it was all about bringing um, you know, products and solutions to market that would capitalize on this new citizens broadband radio service um, here in the US. And this is in the 3.5 gigahertz band um, where we are opening up spectrum that had previously been uh, mostly occupied by um, federal operations, actually military operations. So we're opening up that spectrum. There are some commercial incumbent operations as well, um, but we're doing it in a really innovative way using these um, uh, essentially geolocation databases uh, called spectrum access systems or SASs. And the SASs are, yeah, again, these are centralized cloud services run by um, a number of different companies and organizations. Um, and you contract with them. And then if you want to operate a LTE or a 5G um, radio network or you know, uh, access network, 
um, your radios will actually talk to these spectrum access system databases and they'll let them know, hey, I'm at this location, I'm this type of radio that could be indoors or outdoors, low power, high power, a few other uh, parameters. Um, so I'm at this location and I'd like some spectrum. And the uh, the SASs have awareness of you know, the, the overall band in that specific area or ge geographic area the incumbent operations, the other CBRS users. Um, and so they'll come back with a spectrum grant uh, to the radio that authorizes them to then uh, you know, operate. Um, and it's really, this is, you know, CBRS is one example of a broader trend and, and sort of just putting on my spectrum policy wonk hat for a second. Um, it's the part of this broader trend towards dynamic spectrum access. So, you know, we've long lived in a world where spectrum was sort of bifurcated, you know, uh, just this uh, sort of linear distinction between licensed spectrum, like what you said, you know, generates billions of dollars when you auction it, the revenue, very popular with Congress right now, because they can use it to pay for all sorts of exciting things. Um, or uh, on the other hand, you had unlicensed spectrum, which, you know, is sort of a free for all, no interference protections, non-exclusive, you know, no, no exclusive rights to the spectrum like you would get with licensed spectrum. Um, yeah. But creates a real fertile, you know, playground, if you will, for innovation has given rise to Wi-Fi and Bluetooth and, and so many other exciting things that we all take, uh, you know, take advantage of use uh, on a daily basis. Um, so with, with this dynamic spectrum access, we're really sort of moving beyond that. I'm going to call it bipolar world that we've had with licensed, unlicensed. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, with CBRS, we actually have uh, both protected access, which is similar to fully licensed spectrum historically. And we also have an opportunistic tier of CBRS called general authorized access, um, which is more of the quasi unlicensed uses. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really mixing things. And I think it's, you know, again, this is CBRS is just one example of this. The, um, Six gigahertz unlicensed is going to use a thing called automated frequency coordination, which is also DSA. So I just want to give people a little bit of background on what, you know, the CBRS framework is and what's going on with dynamic spectrum access. And, and I can loop back to your question on the alliance if you would like me to. Sorry, I know I kind of did a lot of setup there. No, no, that that's great. You know, and it's, you know, it's been a real model, right? You and I have spoken in the past and, you know, you're actually sharing some of the learnings of, what I call the democratization of, of traditionally licensed spectrum with different parts of the world. But yeah, real briefly, yeah. Um, what are some of the newest members? And, you know, we also talked about device certifications recently too. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so again, uh, we launched the Alliance in August of 2016 with six founding members. We're up to about 200 members um, uh, companies now. It's a bit of a who's who. We have all of the major players in the, mobile industry, the cable industry on the operator side, um, you know, big technology names, Google, Facebook, uh, et cetera. Um, and then, you know, um, neutral host tower companies, cellular infrastructure vendors, enterprise wireless LAN um, companies, chipset folks, integrators. Um, so the, the, the list of members is, is wide and distinguished. Um, some of the newest members that you asked about, um, we're really getting a lot of folks in who are like focusing on, um, I'd say the systems integration, how to kind of put solutions together and bring those to market. Um, mm -hmm. So GS Labs um, uh, has joined recently um, some antenna specialization companies, so Huber and um, Sooner. Um, 
Uh, Aleph Edge, who's doing some interesting things both around uh, sort of mobile edge compute for the enterprise, particularly, you know, important to some of the private networks use cases. Um, Pollen Mobile is another one uh, that's joined recently. They've got an interesting sort of crypto, um, sort of crypto mining based on private um, network deployments. Uh, you know, so those are just a few examples of some of our newest members. Um, on the uh, count, kind of device counts and deployment counts, um, we're up to 230,000, over 230,000 deployed base stations, um, which in CBS are known as CBSDs. So you'll sometimes hear uh, us using that acronym. So over 230,000. CBRS small cells typically um, in, in deployment and operation being coordinated by these spectrum access systems that we talked about. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, I think, far and away the largest small cell deployment that's ever occurred in a mid-band frequency, I think in any frequency really, um, globally. So we're proud of that. Um, we've had our FCC authorization now for full commercial operations since um, January of 2020, so about uh, two and a half years now. Um, so we've done 230,000 plus uh, base station deployments in that two and a half years. On the device side, which I think is probably a better metric for how uh, a new ecosystem, a new wireless ecosystem is developing and, and how vibrant it is, um, and, and it's particularly relevant for um, CBRS because, as you said, we're kind of democratizing this. We're really on the front edge of the whole private networks, um, you know, movement uh, globally. And so, you know, because of that, we've, we've now got over 400, well, I think it's actually at 435 um, different models of client devices that have been authorized um, for operation in the band um, for either LTE or 5G, some cases actually supporting both, um, but 435 different client devices and, and the form factors there on the client side are fascinating because you know we certainly have the mobile devices, the handsets, the smartphone that is, um, as well as the tablet form factors and things like that. But then it goes into you know more, um, more of the notebook and uh, notebook form and laptop type form factors. So more traditional computing um, uh, models supporting CBRS, and then more even more interesting is sort of the you know, I'll say at the industrial um, you know industrial specific. So we got a whole range of gateways and routers that really are meant for you know industrial manufacturing or even vehicular type. Um, deployments, farm machinery, all, all sorts of interesting things. John Deere was one of the companies that bought um, one of the protected access licenses at the CBRS auction a few years ago. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, uh, and then there's a number of uh, uh, customer premise equipment. So fixed wireless access is actually a very popular um, use case for the CBRS band. And so um, in those deployments, you typically would have a residential CPE device that would, you know, get the CBRS sort of broadband connection from a, a tower, you know, a few kilometers away um, and then use Wi-Fi in the house. But um, so there's a range of these sort of CPE gateway devices. Um, and then we've got some really interesting mission-specific uh, client form factors, barcode scanners, security cameras, people finding really interesting things to do with um, with CBRS and sort of driving the, the client device manufacturers to support it. It's, it's much more 
analogous to a Wi-Fi-like ecosystem than to a traditional licensed cellular band. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, you've been doing quite a bit since 2016 and, you know, you touched on LTE and 5G and I think that's a great segue for, for Anshul's first question for you. Yeah. So Dave, you, you mentioned CBRS, you know, and, and how it's key to the, to the Onco Alliance. And I was really, you know, wondering about how, you know, CBRS was originally focused on private LTE, but where are you guys at today with 5G deployments and what does the typical industry or vertical profile of a customer look like? Okay, uh, great questions. And, and I'm going to treat that as two separates if I could. Um, so on, on the question about um, you know, LTE and 5G, um, yeah, I mean, so again, a little trip back down uh, sort of memory lane here. Um, the work uh, that sort of culminated with, um, you know, CBRS coming into commercial service began in the really the 2011 timeframe, if not earlier. And so, you know, as the initial studies were done by, um, you know, the government that is NTIA and the FCC, um, you know, LTE was really somewhat of an emerging technology still. Um, and, uh, and, and so that was really what was in mind um, when the initial conversations about CBRS uh, were had. And even as it came to fruition through the FCC's processes and the industry standardization processes, you know, it was all still essentially an LTE world um, at that time. And uh, one of the things I like to point out is th this ecosystem that we just talked about and, and how vibrant it is and, and how many devices we have, that is a direct result of the fact that the um, frequency range that we're talking about, which is um, 3550 to 3700 megahertz, um, that uh, directly overlaps with some global LTE TDD bands or, or time division duplexing bands. Um, so since 2008 timeframe, I believe, is when 3GPP standardized those uh, band 42 and band 43, heavily used in Japan for a long time. And then, you know, uh, there was some use in Europe and now they're 5G pioneer bands almost globally. Um, so, you know, we benefited directly from that because there was, you know, uh, you know Qualcomm and um, uh, other companies were making chips for um, those frequency ranges uh, for other markets. And so we could we could ride that wave. So I, I say all of this to say that you know, there was a, a large, well-established um, LTE ecosystem from the chipsets to the infrastructure radios to the client devices. Um, that we immediately were able to essentially capitalize on. Um, and um, and so really up until 2018, really the, the focus of, you know, the industry activity, the CBRS Alliance, of, uh, as we were known at that point, was all around LTE operation in CBRS. And, and I didn't really talk too much about it, but one of the things that we were looking at is, you know, LTE had, had always operated an exclusively licensed spectrum. Um, it didn't have to be concerned about sharing with uh, other operators, particularly in the, in the same channel. Um, so there's just some, some kind of nuances or, or new aspects um, of operating LTE in a, in a shared spectrum space like we have with CBRS. And so that's really been our focus, I, I would say, is really optimizing you know, these three GPP technologies to operate in a shared spectrum band, we think that's going to be incredibly important uh, going forward. 
Um, but it was LTE focused, call it till about January of 2018. And I think it was at that point, I think it was January of 18 that our board made a decision um, to, you know, begin working on 5G radio operation um, in the band. Uh, we started off some activity with our technical working group, and we actually published our first um, 5G specifications for CBRS um, in 2020. Um, and so we were the first, pardon me, uh, actually at the end of 2019. So we were the first um, mid-band frequencies in the US that were actually available for 5G NR um, operation. And we're you know, proud of that. Um, some of the FCC commissioners were very excited to say they'd made you know, mid-band 5G available and, and that was us. Um, so you know, that, that has all happened. You know, these cellular, G cycles tend to be you know, about a decade long. We're still pretty early in the, the 5G cycle. Um, so you know, the, the ecosystem continues to, to emerge, I would say, um, on the 5G side relative to LTE, um, particularly for the um, sort of the private standalone mode of operation. Um, you know, that, that's going to take a little while to, to get to a, the same point that we have in, in terms of LTE um, you know, devices and, and the, the, the diversity. Um, there's a premium for 5G equipment at this point as well. So what I think you know, we're seeing right now is the operators who are using CBRS. So you know, um, Verizon has been a, a, you know, quite a, a prominent deployer and utilizer of the spectrum. Um, and there's been a lot of press about, you know, what some of the MSOs or cable companies are, are doing, and they've purchased a lot of the um, priority access licenses during our auction. Um, so I, I think you'll, yeah, those companies have made fairly clear that, you know, anything they deploy, even if they deployed it initially as LTE um, and radio, they needed to have an upgrade path uh, to 5G and R, which makes tons of sense given the, um, you know, the amount of effort that they're putting behind their 5G rollouts. Um, uh, so I think, you know, we're seeing a lot of a drive from the operators for 5G. I don't think we're seeing as much on the, the private side yet, uh, with a few exceptions. I mean, there's a few exceptions where when you actually do get to 5G in our um, SA, so standalone with a 5G core, um, and you can potentially implement slicing and things like this that, you know, the, the reductions in latency um, really have some benefit for you know, precision manufacturing and a few other private deployment models, but, or use cases, I should say. Um, but for, I'm going to say 95% of the private deployments that are uh, out there today, you know, LTE works extremely well. Um, it's a new capability that they haven't had access to before in the first place. And um, and it's quite a bit less expensive than a 5G solution today. Yeah, and I think, you know, Dave, you also touched on the second question about, you know, sort of verticals. And from my perspective as well, when I look at the private kind of cellular opportunity, um, manufacturing automation, I think is is a huge, um, huge opportunity there. But you and I were, were speaking a few weeks ago and you brought up a use case that I found interesting for, for CBR Spectrum. And you, you kind of walked me through stadium and venue deployments. And, you know, when I typically think of that, you know, all you hear is like, you know, what Verizon talks about with their ultra wide band and millimeter wave for, for obvious reasons. Um, so what, what's, what's the story there with CBRS and, you know, what exactly, how is it exactly getting deployed for stadium and uh, venue management? 
Yeah. Uh, thanks, Will. Um, yeah, it, it, the, I, I really enjoyed that conversation um, a few weeks ago on the topic. And it, it's just, it's really hit me this year. So 2022 in particular, um, you know, we, we hadn't had an in-person meeting um, of the Alliance, um, you know, since whatever, I think it was January or February of, um, of 2020. So it had been two years since we met. We had our first meeting in April. Our first in-person member meeting was April in Philadelphia. Um, and the timing just was great. And, and it was kind of great to be back together after two years to sort of, and, and we'd been having virtual online meetings, of course, but, you know, be back in person and really to kind of talk about, wow, you know, there's a lot that's happened in the last two years when well, the world's been sort of hiding in our houses. Um, but um, one of the things that was really exciting, and, and I'm trying to get to the point here, sorry, um, is that being in Philly, um, Comcast uh, had not had announced not too long before the before April that they were doing a CBRS deployment at the Wells Fargo Center, right, which is where the Sixers play and um, Villanova and uh, ice hockey and um, you know, uh, that is the NHL has a, a team there, which um, flyers, I knew I was going to re remember it eventually. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, we're in Philly, Comcast is a member, a great host, and, and they actually um, had us over to the Comcast, excuse me, to the Wells Fargo Center, uh, gave us a tour, sort of backstage, if you will, showed us, you know, the data center, where some of the radios were deployed and everything. Um, and so this is, you know, it, it's one of Comcast's showcases. And so, uh, you know, since they're the primary sponsor for the arena um, and they, uh, you know, they talked to us about what they've rolled out and they're using it um, for, you know, sort of operational stuff. So um, they've got the Jumbotron there over the, the court slash rink. Um, and they, uh, you know, during the game, they'll they'll have, you know, video that they uh, put up there from the crowd and, and have people uh, going around in the audience. But because the both the licensed band um, spectrum that the DAS system uses and the unlicensed spectrum that the Wi-Fi, you know, Wi-Fi, I guess Wi-Fi uses, uh, both of those are so heavily taxed that neither was really a good option for them to, to stream this video with a sort of predictable, you know, result, high quality video experience, et cetera, et cetera. So they're now using CBRS enabled handsets, um, you know, uh, and tablets, um, you know, to, to do that. And they stream that up to the, um, stream that up to the Jumbotron and they're doing some other, you know, sort of internal communications over CBRS as well. So that's Comcast Center. Um, then we were in uh, San Diego for our July member meeting, and we didn't really plan any of this, you know, because we actually booked most of these venues like two years ago, and then we kept deferring them as the pandemic went on. Yeah. So we had these things booked years in advance, but we got out to San Diego in July, and um, uh, Boingo, uh, our, one of our uh, board, board member companies actually, uh, was doing, um, had done a deployment at Petco Park. Um, and so we actually had the um, CIO for the Padres come and talk to us about, you know, how they're leveraging technology, what's going on with CBRS. And in Petco Park, they're, they're using it for a portion of the stadium where they just, again, they didn't have good connectivity options. And this is a I'm going to call it sort of a flex use space. So, you know, they'll do it during the games for refreshments and vendors and souvenirs and these sorts of things. Um, during concerts, they'll they'll have, you know, pop-up kiosks and ticket taking and things like this, but it's, it's a reconfigurable space and it doesn't look necessarily the same way twice almost. 
Um, and again, you know, because of you know, how heavily utilized the unlicensed and licensed bands are within the stadium, most of these stadiums, you know, they're they're using every frequency that they can come across. Yeah. Yeah. And so the same thing, they're using a, a lot for sort of flexible um, point of sale uh, is one of the primary drivers there at Petco. Um, so that was a really cool uh, example. We unfortunately didn't get to tour the facility because they were having a Red Hot Chili Peppers concert. And I guess that preempted <laughs> us, but um, we got to see it. We were actually looking out over it. Um, and then uh, another one is um, uh, AT&T Center. So the um, uh, uh, basketball stadium in Texas, obviously. And um, the Comscope there, um, who's uh, a member of the Alliance, is doing a deployment there with AT&T. Um, and they're using, uh, let's see, it's uh, both their DAS system as well as some of the new um, CBRS small cells are being deployed there. Uh, use cases are mostly around internal communications. So, you know, I think analogous to what we talked about with Wells Fargo. Um, yeah. They may be doing some concourse uh, connectivity as well for, for POS. So, yeah. Well, you guys are covering one of my favorite sports teams, the San Antonio Spurs, there at the AT&T Center. And Ansel is a huge Padres fan and has season oh. tickets. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're covering you're covering both both of our venues there. Sweet. So with that, Anshul, I'm going to hand it over to you for your next question. Yeah. So Dave, I appreciate that because I I've definitely been following the the Boingo deployment for obvious reasons. Um, but beyond what you and Will discussed, what are some other compelling use cases for CBS Spectrum deployment? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, um, it, it's kind of hard to put your finger on it anymore. I. I I say, um, you know, one of the things that is so cool about CBRS is it's so flexible. Um, we, we sort of have five primary categories of use cases is how I'm going to put it. So you've got operators. I mentioned that you know, there's a lot of operator interest in, in this band, right? It's 150 megahertz of, you know, mid-band spectrum that they can use for LTE and 5G. So, yeah. And it's, you know, if you use it at the GAA tier, it's practically free. So, um, you know, who's not going to like that? Mm -hmm. um, so you've got, uh, on the operator side, you've got mobile operators. Obviously, I mentioned Verizon uh, typically using this as additional capacity in the metropolitan areas. And so, you know, it's another band, either B48 if you're using LTE or N48 if you're using um, uh, 5G and R. Um, and they can just, using carrier aggregation, they can add in a, a 40 or a 60 or, you know, however much spectrum the SAS uh, will grant them in a location. They can add that into their other license bands and give the their, their subscribers, you know, that much more throughput. So mobile operators, um, and then I mentioned the, the cable operators. So, um, yeah, we've got most of the big ones in the Alliance, Charter, um, Comcast, Cox are all members. And uh, many of them are looking at CBRS as a way to actually build out some of their own cellular footprint um, in those metro areas where they've got hybrid fiber coax, you know, infrastructure running all uh, through the streets. Um, you know, they can put up potentially their own small cells, um, onload the, their subscribers with, you know, uh, Spectrum Mobile or Xfinity Mobile um, and, and, you know, not have to pay an MBNO um, wholesale fee uh, in that case. 
So, and then um, the third major sort of operator category is the fixed wireless piece that we talked about. Um, and so, and, it, and and that's everybody from the big players, you know, the the big MNOs and, and MSOs looking to extend the reach of their fixed networks, typically, you know, whether they've got fiber in the ground or, or fiber, uh, hybrid fiber coax in the ground. Um, but there's also a whole lot of um, smaller wireless internet service providers or WISPs uh, operating typically in the rural parts of the country. Um, and uh, they were incumbents uh, in the band, actually. So they, they have been operating under a, you know, uh, what was known as Part 90 of the FCC's rules uh, in the upper 50 megahertz, so from 3650 to 3700. And they've been operating up there for years. Um, but now with CBRS, they, they're getting access to a full 150 megahertz and much wider channels potentially. Um, and because of this ecosystem that's coming in with LTE and L5G, it's, it's dynamically changing their economics in a positive way by lowering their cost. Um, and so uh, a lot of deployments are, are happening with fixed wireless access, particularly these uh, these WISP deployments. And that's, again, why we've got such a vibrant customer premise equipment ecosystem. So those are the three operator categories, mobile cable and fixed wireless. Um, and then on the private slash enterprise side, if you will, um, I, I, I have two big categories there. And these are not neat categories, by the way. None, none, there's a bleed over between all of them, but you, know, you have to try to figure out how to do some segmentation. Um, so I would say private network. So you know, to me, a private deployment is something that you're using for internal communications needs, right? It's, it's not a public network, it's private. Um, um, so that's one of the two uh, sort of enterprise deployment models. The, the fifth one, and, and this one doesn't um, isn't really here yet, but it's, um, I think, going to be emerging very soon, is neutral host. Um, and this is the ability for a, you know, enterprise public venue um, to deploy, you know, their own LTE or 5G network, um, potentially use it as a private deployment for internal communications needs. But, but in the neutral host, uh, you know, sense, to open that up for the subscribers of the mobile operators, of the public mobile operators. So, you know, the right. idea being, you know, I could put this in my, you know, commercial space, my office uh, office space or condo space or multi-tenant dwelling units or, you know, student housing or, or whatever. Um, and I could, you know, yeah, I could do some, you know, IoT sensors and other security cameras and private stuff that I need to do. But then, hey, it's here, it's providing a really good LTE signal within a building why don't I want to let, you know, my students with AT&T yeah. get connected, right? And that's the whole neutral host thing. So, sorry, five major categories. And then I'd love to kind of dive into the, the private network, some of the verticals there, if, if you have time. Yeah. So, I mean, that was going to be my final question before we wrapped up. You know, um, you know I, I think what's really compelling about what you're doing, I mean, it's all very compelling. But certainly the private wireless opportunity is super compelling. So, yeah, if, if you could provide, you know, a couple of examples of, of what you're doing there and then maybe um, provide, you know, um, a reference point if our viewers and listeners want to learn more, maybe the on-go website. But, yeah, yeah. we'd love you to wrap things up uh, with that. Great. Thank you. Yeah. So so if we, we dive a little bit into that category of private, you know, being internal comms, I think you made the the probably the the you know one of the most important points, Will, which is that you know a lot of the activity 
you know, that that uh, was driven really early on um, in the U.S. with CBRS, but, but particularly in countries like Germany and the U.K. and even Japan now um, has been around sort of industrial logistics, um, you know, uh, Netherlands, Port of Rotterdam, you know, go read some of the use cases there about, you know, they, they put in, you know, to uh, private LTE and that happened years ago, you know, the amount of money that they've been able to save the reliability they've seen as an increase over some unlicensed solutions that they had historically relied on. Um, so the, the the ROI and the economics for, you know, again, you know, major port, rail yard, um, manufacturing, um, you know, shipping companies, things like this, the, 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 you know, if they, have a, if they have an hour of downtime, they're losing, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars slash euros. So, you know, for them, it's a no brainer. Um, and so we saw a lot of early deployments there. Some of the other ones that we're starting to see that are sort of outside of those um, industrial logistics ones, I would say are around, um, you know, retail. So again, you know, particularly uh, that flexible point of sale type solution that we were talking about. Some real interesting municipal deployments and education um, has been driving a lot of this. We, um, it's, it's amazing to me, and I, I think COVID sort of exacerbated this. But you know, as we had so many students trying to learn from home, you know, we it, it really underscored the the disparity that we have in connectivity within the country, and not, it's not just a, a sort of you know urban rural divide. It's just there's also the socioeconomic aspects of this as well. And so we had a number of um, you know, communities, municipalities around the country roll out CBRS networks to provide connectivity to households that just otherwise would not have had it. Um, and that's been huge. And you know, we've actually had some um, uh, news recently out of New York where the New York Public Libraries is involved in, in providing some um, you know, connectivity to, to again, uh, folks who wouldn't have, have it otherwise. Um, venues and hospitality is another um, uh, interesting use case. Healthcare, uh, um, lots of interesting models there in terms of, you know, it's analogous to the stadiums in terms of they, they will typically have a, a DAS system and they'll typically have Wi-Fi uh, in a hospital. But what you'll find is, you know, um, you know, both of those are heavily utilized, the, the, the DAS for voice, the Wi-Fi for, you know, guest and patient um, uh, sort of access. And, and what they're finding is that you know, because of that, neither of those solutions is really well suited for, you know, anything that's, uh, 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 you know, mission critical. I'm not going to say life critical, but mission critical to the hospital asset tracking sort of telemetry of, you know, um, you know, routine type of patient monitoring and things like that. Um, uh, I, I can't remember if I said asset tracking. So these sorts of uses, and, and again, hospitals are trying to be very flexible from a space perspective as well, reconfiguring, you know, wards, reconfiguring operating theaters and things like this. And so they, they're trying to move more and more wireless. Um, so healthcare is an interesting one. Um, unfortunately, you know, and well, Unfortunately, from a technology uh, CBRS momentum perspective, fortunately, from a safety and, you know, as a patient perspective, um, you know, they tend to be pretty conservative in, in, in how they embrace technology. So, you know, we've got some systems that have, um, you know, started to embrace CBRS and, and others, you know, I think will take a little bit longer on the healthcare side. Um, those are a few. Um, 
Yeah, retail distribution is, I mentioned retail in terms of the point of sale opportunity. Another really interesting one we're seeing is um, retail distribution where, um, and it's somewhat analogous to sort of the logistics and shipping thing because you've got these distribution centers where, you know, huge warehouses with pallets, or, you know, pardon me, not pallets, but um, just shelves of, of products and things. Um, and then they'll have a sort of pallet loading area um, where, uh, in a lot of cases, the newer ones, they have all these wonderful robots flying around the facilities, um, you know, gathering products off of the shelves, bringing them back, loading a pallet, and preparing the pallet to go out on a, on a truck or train or whatever. Um, but wireless connectivity inside those facilities, you know, has to be rock solid, right? Um, again, these are ones where, you know, an hour of downtime is, you know, uh, very significant business consequences because they've got, you know, very strict uh, sort of SLAs with, with their resale, the, the end customer who's, you know, a big box retailer typically. Um, and so, you know, they're really excited about, you know, some of the advantages that having a, an LTE or a 5G system um, inside the building provides the mobility support. I mean, some of these robots are zipping around at 30 or 40 miles an hour um, inside the building, and they tend to have uh, metal raceways, which creates some really challenging RF environments. And so they're finding that, you know, with an LTE waveform, uh, it's more reliable around these metal obstructions, supports the mobility, very secure. Um, so yeah, that's a, another one. And, you know, I didn't even know about that until like, you know, five years ago. And now all of a sudden it's like one of our big use cases. So. Awesome. Hey, just to wrap up, Dave, um, where can our viewers and listeners oh, go to learn sorry. more about Ongo? Yeah, my bad. Sorry. Um, yes, please. Uh, uh, OngoAlliance.org is our website. And uh, there you'll find everything from um, you know, private network deployment guides to some neutral host information, what's going on with that. Uh, you'll see the list of our members. Um, you can go to the certifications page and look at all those different client devices, as well as the infrastructure uh, radio devices that are there. Um, so it's a great, great resource. Uh, so there's some OnGo 101 type resources there for people who just want to understand how all this works as well. Good stuff. Well, it's been a great podcast. Anshul, why don't you take us home? Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide insights on a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Town Tech and I'm at Anshul Saad. Thanks again to Dave Wright from the Ongo Alliance for joining us in an insightful conversation as we lead up to MWC Las Vegas for later this month. Thanks a lot, Dave. Yeah, thank you, Ashwell. Thanks, Will. Appreciate it. Thanks, Dave.